Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. You can't lose with this type of bet, baby. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer, am I right? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, this is, this is, you'd have to be stupid not to take this type of deal. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and get in on all of the action. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so, so much more. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion freaking dollars to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big damn paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. Again, the promo code is THPN. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at $100 to one odds on any basketball team to hit one three-point shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. Welcome to New York. This is, is the Devil's Devil State, State of Mind podcast, podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano. You know, I love being right. Woo! What is happening, Devils fans? It is your boy, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to a very, very, very exciting edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey 
Podcast Network, the best place, as always, to get the most up-to-date news and topics going on about your New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day whenever you're listening to this. I hope you're having a fantastic day basically every single day. We need a lot more positivity, especially during this very difficult time. Thank you guys, as always, for spending some time to check this episode out. I do greatly, greatly appreciate it. Folks, we have a truckload of things to get to. Mostly good news, obviously. You know, consider if you've been watching the Devils, you know probably what I'm going to be talking about. We had, obviously, a couple games. We're going to be talking about the Devils' victory over the Boston Bruins on Thursday, the 18th. And we're also going to be talking about the Devils game versus the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday. I'm recording this around the early mornings of Sunday, February 21st. So I won't be going over the Devils game versus the Washington Capitals at 2 p.m. on NBC today. That'll be on the next episode, episode number 23. I'll go over that game. So we have those two games to go over. We have some breaking news, or not necessarily breaking news, but news that happened just basically, if you guys are listening to this on Monday the 22nd, happened two days ago, right before the Devils played the Buffalo Sabres. We're also going to be giving our usual Binghamton Devils update, and we're going to give you an update on some prospects, more specifically two of the players that the Devils drafted in the first round of the 2020 NHL draft. So like I said, we have a truckload to get to today. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we'll kick things off with talking about the Devils game versus the Boston Bruins back on Thursday, the 18th. So the Devils were going into this game. This was their third matchup of the season with the Boston Bruins. They went 1-0-1 to start the season at home against Boston, losing the first game in a shootout and then winning the second game in overtime on Igor Sharangovich's first National Hockey League goal. But obviously, this was a much different Boston Bruins team and a much different Devils team. The Devils were coming in on a high after a big victory again at Madison Square Garden over the New York Rangers. And they were looking for their third win in a row against the Boston Bruins team, which at this point was the best team in the NHL points-wise. They were a lot stronger. You know, David Pasternak was actually playing in this one. You know, clearly the Devils were going to have a much more difficult task going into this one than maybe they did when the season started. The Bruins ended up going with Yaroslav Halak, who hasn't actually beaten the Devils in nearly three years. I think he's like 0-4-1 or 0-4-2 uh, in his last six, seven games against the Devils. So clearly the Devils have had his number, and they were looking to do the same in this one. The reason why Yaroslav Halak was playing in Natuka Rask was because, as all of you probably know by now, the Bruins are going to be playing against the Philadelphia Flyers in Lake Tahoe later on tonight. So Tukaras was is going to get the start for the Bruins in that one. So as a result, Halak gets the start against the New Jersey Devils. And the Devils, like usual, got off to a really good start in the first period. They were being very aggressive, and they continued to look like a team that hadn't been away from the game for over two weeks. They looked like that they wanted to send a message right away that they're not going to be intimidated. They're not going to be worried about, you know, being low on energy or things like that. They're going to come out and be as aggressive as they usually are. And they did have a power play 
in that first period. But of course, because our power play continues to be one of the Achilles heels of this team, they did not score. And after the first period, there was no score. So after the first 20 minutes, you feel pretty good because obviously the Devils came out and wanted to, like I said, make a statement and wanted to dictate the pace of this game. And the Bruins just kind of looked like they were a step behind. And to be honest with you, I would say for about 75 to you know 85% of this game, the Devils were clearly the better team. They, they just looked like from the start that they were going to find a way to win this game. How they were going to win it, we weren't sure at that time. But as I'll explain, they did find a way to get this victory. Just 94 seconds into the second period, Jack Hughes brought the puck up on a rush. I think it was about, it was going to be a three on two. And he had Kyle Palmieri trailing in the play going up the center of the ice. And Hughes, without any hesitation whatsoever, does a behind the back pass, which he's able to feed Kyle Palmieri, who has a step in front of his defender and also the defender that was guarding Jack Hughes. He has a partial breakaway and is able to beat Yaroslav Halak low glove side to give the Devils the one nothing lead. And for Kyle Palmieri, he finally, finally gets the monkey off his back and scores his first goal of the season. And that was really an emotional boost. I loved how the whole team was so pumped to see Palmieri get that goal and finally get, get off that schneid and, and, and really just get the Devils going. And I felt like from that point on, for the majority of the second period, the Devils just stepped up their game even more. They were already being aggressive. It seemed like they just took it to another level right after that goal. Now, both teams traded opportunities for the most part throughout the course of the first half of that period. But then P.K. Subban, unfortunately, took a four-minute double minor, caught the player up high, hit him in the face. He ended up actually you know, catching blood. So P.K. Subban had to sit for four minutes. And before I continue, I just want to say once again that I have been continuously you know, disappointed with P.K. Subban's play for the most part. Offensively, he has gotten better, but defensively, he continues to be, for a lot of it, a, a liability. And that's the thing that's very, very frustrating about, you know, watching P.K. Subban play. Because when you're giving a guy $9 million, now great, the Devils didn't give him that contract. It was the contract that Nashville gave him, be, you know, once they had him in Nashville. But again, $9 million per year for a guy who really has struggled defensively and is just not, you know, contributing as much as he can to this team. It just makes it more and more likely that the Devils will find a way to move on from him probably after this year. I doubt it, guys, that Seattle, after seeing what he's been doing this year, is going to want to take a flyer on him, especially at that type of money. But if you're looking at it from a promotional standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. So let's go from there. But guys, P.K. Subban is continuing to be a liability. I know he's a fan favorite because of his personality. I absolutely love his personality. I love his leadership on this team. But as far as a game-to-game -game basis, he continues, continues to piss me off and piss off a lot of Devils fans with the lack of defensive responsibility. And he needs to fix that if he wants to have any sort of chance to stay with this Devils team, whether it's for the rest of this season or, you know, moving forward. So hopefully he continues to find ways to try to get better in that realm because it could help the Devils tremendously. But like I said, P.K. Subban took a four-minute double minor, which was obviously at that point the expectation was 
crap. We're probably going to end up either being tied or being down one goal because the Bruins have one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League. And they have the likes of Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, you know, Brad Marchand. They have got Jake DeBrusque. They have guys that can put the puck in the back of the net consistently. And even though Mackenzie Blackwood was continuing to play well, like he always does, it still seemed like a foregone conclusion. And also the fact that our power play is still total garbage. I don't get why our penalty kill is as bad as it is. Now, I'm going to put a lot of blame on Elaine Najradin because he's in charge of the defense and also the penalty kill. And I don't know if it's a chemistry thing or I don't know if it's just because of the lack of defensive talent, but it just feels like every time we go on a PK, we have a 75 to almost 90% chance that we're going to give up a goal, which is so frustrating because I watch other, I watch us go on the power play against other teams and we struggle to just get the puck in the freaking zone. I don't get it. I'm starting to think that maybe it's not necessarily coaching. Maybe it's just the mindset of these players that a lot of them were unfortunately subjected to he who shall not be named when he was the head coach for the last four or five years. You know, and I think it's now been so engraved in their freaking brains that they just forgot how to shoot the puck at times. And it's so frustrating. And I know this team is young and I know I have to try to be patient, but those little things like that, when your PK is giving up goals consistently, when your power play is struggling to even win face-offs and get it into the O-zone, how can you be patient with that after a while, especially when you've already played now over 10 games? And I know that obviously we're starting to get more and more guys back into the lineup and get our full team. Still, you need to develop some form of consistency in a good way, in a positive way. And that's the thing that's frustrating. But moving back to obviously this, you know, this situation, the Devils going on the PK. And again, like I said, I thought the expectation was the Devils were going to give up a goal. But about halfway through the four-minute double minor, Jesper Bratt was able to feed the puck to Kyle Palmieri, who came off the bench on a change and got himself a breakaway and came from the right side and went five-hole through the legs of Yaroslav Halak and scored for a shorthanded goal, his second goal of the game, second of the season, and the Devils grabbed a 2 nothing lead. And that was a huge Huge goal, considering how the rest of this game went when you really think about it. And uh, I really look at this situation and, you know, with Kyle Palmieri and also with Nikita Gusev, who, you know, now has actually missed the last couple of games, even though he's been healthy. And I don't know if that's necessarily because of performance wise or if he's still recovering from something. I would like to see Gusev back in the lineup. But if the Devils are continuing to play this well without him maybe Gusev just doesn't fit the devil's system anymore, which is tough because considering how big, you know, the news was when the devils were able to acquire him from Vegas and considering the potential that he had, it's kind of a disappointing thing nonetheless, but still, you know, Kyle Palmieri, it's one of those things where once he gets his first goal, he starts rolling. Michael McLeod was the same thing earlier this year. Got his first NHL goal. Then he had a two-goal game a couple days later. Like, he's starting to get going. Once these guys score that first goal and get the monkey off their back, then they're kicking Mofobo. Then they're cooking with gas. They're, they're starting to, you know, do things that, you know, they are capable of doing. And I think it was only a matter of time before Palmieri got that. And he gets rewarded for the hard work. And he he's finally making big contributions. And he scored his second goal of the game. And the Devils take a 2-0 lead. But I will say this. Palmieri giveth. Palmieri taketh away. And unfortunately... 
the two goal lead didn't really last that long because with about 30 seconds left on the four minute double minor, Palmieri had the puck basically right in front of the net or a little bit to the left of the net. And he tried to clear it, you know, to kill off the last 30 seconds or so of the power play. Instead, it hit Jake DeBrusque right in the chest. It landed right on DeBrusque's stick and he was able to take it away and beat Mackenzie Blackwood far side to score to cut the deficit in half to one. So Kyle Palmieri at this point has two goals and an assist. And it wasn't one of those goals where I sat there and said, uh-oh, we're, we're about to blow a two-goal lead. It was a frustrating goal knowing that it could have easily been avoided. But sometimes, you know, that's hockey. It's going to happen. You're going to try to clear the puck. It's going to hit off somebody, and they're going to take it away and score. And that's really what happened in this situation. And so the Devils obviously only lead two to one. And I was really intrigued to see how were the Devils going to respond to this? Were they going to fall back and try to protect the one-goal lead? Or were they going to look to try to get that next goal and regain the two-goal lead? Well, they ended up doing the latter because the Devils didn't really waste a lot of time to try to respond. Because about three minutes later, the Devils got the puck in the offensive zone. And I think it was Brat that made the pass to Pavel Zaka right as a defender was coming at him. So it looked like it was a setup. It was like a suicide pass, basically, where... It looks like Zaka's about to get his bell rung. But Zaka gets the puck, does a spin move to beat the defender. He passed it to the right side of the ice to Andreas Janssen, who got it. He faked the shot, held it for a second, found Zaka again on the far left side, wide open. And Zaka got the puck, wrist-shotted it over the right shoulder of Yaroslav Halak for the goal to give the Devils back the two-goal lead to make it 3-1. to one. And to me, that was the most gorgeous, you know, setup to a goal I have seen this season from the Devils. It was a great spin move by Zaka and an even better pass by Andreas Janssen. And I will say this about Janssen. Even though he's not scoring and maybe putting up the points that maybe we expected when the Devils acquired him, he's actually done very, very well and is one of the few guys on this team that is able to build chemistry with no matter who he's on the ice with, whether it's Zaka Brett, Michael McLeod, uh, Gusev, Zaja, like it doesn't matter. He seems to do very, very well. And that's really good. And for him, knowing that he has a much bigger role here than he did in Toronto with playing with the likes of Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and guys like that, you know, he has somewhat of a chip on his shoulder and he's trying to prove it and he's slowly getting things going. A lot of these guys are slowly getting themselves going. And again, it's a 52-game season and there's a lot, there isn't a lot of time to rest. And as I told you guys, and Lindy Rubb said, there really isn't going to be a full team practice the rest of the season. The Devils are playing virtually every other day and playing on the playing on both Saturday and Sunday for basically the rest of the season. They don't have a lot of time to really build chemistry with regards to you know practicing and everything. So a lot of it's going to have to come from off the ice when you're traveling and also, you know, when you're playing in games, most specifically when you're playing in games, but Andreas Yante continues to be, to get better and better. And that was a tremendous pass and a great shot by Zaka and the devils, like I said, got the three, one lead. And that's where it stood after two periods. So you're going into the third, knowing that probably you need at least one, maybe two more goals to put this one out of reach. And the devils about halfway through the period had a, Five on three when Marchand decided to be a freaking idiot and tried to go for the throat of Jack Hughes. He tried to check him, but it almost looked like he swung his stick right at his neck. And look, 
Marshan is a clutch player. I, I love how clutch he is, but he is, and I hate saying this, but he is an asshole. I mean, he is a big time asshole. And I'm, look, I'm not stating anything that isn't already obvious. I mean, every single player in the NHL knows, including players on his own team, know that Brad Marchand is an instigator and he will try to get under the player's skin. He tried to get under Jack Hughes' skin a couple times in that game, even with that hit. And what I'm really impressed was Jack Hughes did not retaliate to that. He just let it go. He just let it go and let the refs handle it. And as a result, the Devils got a five on three. And the Devils had a couple of shots, but it was still frustrating that even on a five on three, they still couldn't score. And I looked at it and I said, you know, if the Devils end up blowing a two goal lead and losing this game, I'm going to look back to that moment and say that was the reason we didn't win because we couldn't finish the job and put the game away. Because if the Devils had scored there, make it four to one halfway through the third, that's all she wrote. Even though Boston's a great team with, with offensive firepower galore, I just did not see the way that game was going, especially with the Devils locking it down defensively. I just didn't see the Bruins making a ferocious comeback. We aren't the Toronto Maple Leafs, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to blow a lead that big with that little time left in the game. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen, in my opinion. But the Devils continued, you know, after that power play, they continued to be aggressive. They didn't really, you know, fall back, which is what we've seen for many, many years with he who shall not be named when he was the head coach of this team. They continued to stay aggressive. They continued to try to find ways to get that three-goal lead because they knew that the later that they made it a three-goal lead, the less and less likely the Bruins were going to have an opportunity to even make somewhat of a comeback. But the Devils still could not find a way to make it four to one. And with about two minutes left, Ty Smith, a rookie mistake, tried to clear the puck, but it went over the boards and the refs called a delay of game penalty. So the Bruins went to the power play and didn't waste a whole lot of time. I think like 30, 45 seconds. Nick Ritchie, the defenseman for the Bruins, took a shot that went pretty high up, nearly towards the top of the top bar of the net. And it looked like it was deflected in and it ended up actually being deflected in by David Pasternak and the Bruins scored. There was no challenge of a high stick. It looked like it was pretty clean. It was a weird goal. Those type of things happened, and the Bruins were able to cut the deficit again to just one. So obviously there was about, about a minute 45, a minute 30 left to go in the game. And clearly I'm panicking because I've seen this story one too many times where the Devils have a late lead and it all just collapses. But the Devils continued to, you know, Kill clock. They were trying to score an empty net goal. They missed it a couple of times, which was obviously very frustrating. And the Devils are, without a doubt, the worst team in the NHL when it comes to scoring empty net goals. And it's not just this year. It's been the last, like, 10 years of my life watching this team. Even when we had guys like Ilya Kovalchuk and Zach Grise and Eliash, we were not scoring empty net goals. I don't know why. I don't get why it's this hard. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I, I don't know. It's just really, really, really annoying. But nonetheless, the Devils continued to hold tight. But with just seven, eight seconds left, I think it was either Pasternak or Patrice Bergeron on the far left side. They got the puck on a one-timer, but Mackenzie Blackwood, or Mackenzie Blockwood, as I, as I would say, he was able to come over and block the shot with his right shoulder, and he kind of kept the position up and didn't move because he didn't want to move in case the puck was behind him and it went into the net or anything like that. But he made the save, the clock expired, and the Devils were able to hold on for an emotional 3-2 victory 
on the road in regulation against the Boston Bruins. And that was huge. Mackenzie Clutchwood certainly came up clutch in that game. With that win, the Devils now move to 2-0-1 on the season against the Bruins. And for the Devils to have that much success through the first three games, and they play five more times the rest of this year, but for the first three games against arguably one of the best teams in the NHL, you got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff and the players themselves. And I remember Lindy Ruff said after the Bruins win, he said that, you know, these guys are just so hungry to win these games and win it for each other that they're going to go the extra mile. They're going to go out there and block shots. They're going to go out there and do the little things right. And I think that's great that we've kind of gone back to just correcting the fundamentals. And that's how we've been able to win games so far this season. And that, to me, is just awesome. With that win, Mackenzie Blackwood became the fourth Devils goalie in team history to open up the season with a five or more game point streak as he moved to 4-0-1. And I want to shout out Brian Boucher of NBC, of NBC because everybody has been talking about Carter Hart this, Carter Hart that. Carter Hart has had a very solid season, not a great one. And I know the Devils have played fewer games than the Flyers. But I love the fact that Brian Boucher gave Mackenzie Blackwood his due. Because let's be real here, ladies and gentlemen, Mackenzie Blackwood is as good, if not better, than Carter Hart. And that's going to sound really biased because obviously this is a Devils podcast, Devils fan, you know, everything like that. But Carter Hart, honestly, is a very, very good goaltender. And Team Canada for the Olympics is very lucky that they're going to have two young goaltenders in Hart, in Blackwood, that could carry the load for a younger Canadian team in the Olympics for years to come. But I am so tired of people wanting to kiss Carter Hart's ass when the Flyers have been underperforming and he has had games where he's not looked that good. Mackenzie Blackwood has been solid since he got to the NHL. He's had very little to no games where he looked terrible. He has gotten better every single game. He's gotten better every single year that he's played. And this year is that year where he's really kind of coming into his own and getting into the prime of his career. And for him to start the season 4-0-1 with one of the best save percentages and one of the best goals against average in the NHL tells you a lot. And it tells you that Mackenzie Blackwood is for real. And the biggest reason that nobody talks about Blackwood is because he plays for the New Jersey Devils. And the Devils, like usual, do not get a lot of love from the national media. Now, obviously, the Devils are playing today on Sunday on NBC, but guess what? They're playing Alexander Ovechkin in the Capitals, and this game got moved only because the sun was too bright for the game at Lake Tahoe between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. They couldn't continue the game because of that reason. So it's not like the Devils were planning on playing at 2 o'clock or on national TV, but because of those situations, it has nothing to do with the Devils being an up-and-coming team or being exciting or anything like that. It's because of reasons that have nothing to do with the Devils. But this is my point. The Devils, since they've been in the NHL, have never been given the respect because they play in New Jersey. And this is why the Devils are so loved in this state, because they're the only professional sports team that has the name New Jersey in it. 
the New York Giants and the New York Jets play at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, but they're called the New York Jets and Giants. You have the New York Red Bulls who play in Harrison across a little river from Newark where the Devils play, and they're called the New York Red Bulls. You had the New Jersey Nets, but they moved from East Rutherford to Brooklyn. So the Devils are the only professional sports team in New Jersey that has New Jersey in its name. And that's why it's so important that we have at least one of those. But obviously, it's the Jersey Shore, you know, um, Italian-American, you know, you know, you know, figure out with your hands type of crap that continues to piss me off. And it's very offensive because New Jersey, in many ways, is as good of a state, if not better, than most of the other states in this country, considering the things that we do. And I know that everyone wants to say, oh, it's the armpit of America. Oh, all of you must live in Newark. Well, first of all, that's ridiculous. That's really stupid. And you should be ashamed that you allow social cues to determine your opinion on a place that maybe most of you have never even been to and know nothing about. So that's really it. So be quiet. But- you know, I'm not I'm not trying to go down that road today. This is not the discussion for today. But again, Mackenzie Blackwood has been rock solid. This is the best start of his career, albeit it's only his third year. So it's not like it's really not like, you know, this is the first time in like seven years that he's been really, really good. You know, he continues to prove why he's one of the top up and coming goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And he's going to be a guy that could compete for a Vesna as this team continues to get better and more talented, especially on the defensive end. And you're going to start noticing it, especially if the Devils start becoming a playoff team and maybe even eventually a Stanley Cup team in the next four or five years. You're going to see it. And people are going to say, well, how come we hadn't heard of this guy before? No, you have. You just didn't want to admit that a guy from New Jersey, a goalie from New Jersey, was doing well. Because the last time we had a goalie who was really good in New Jersey, you guys continued to try to say that he was not as good as Patrick Waugh because Waugh had four cups and this guy only had three. Well, guess what? If the Devils had won the cup in 2001, Marty would have four and Patrick Waugh would have three. So you wouldn't have had much of an argument there. You have more of an argument with a guy like, you know, Dominic Hasek than you do with Patrick Waugh in this sense. But still, Martin Bernard is the greatest goaltender to ever play the position, and you guys can't stand it. I understand. You guys can't stand that, that New Jersey is home to arguably the greatest goaltender to ever play the position, and that you can't stand that the Devils have another really talented up-and-coming young goaltender. And we have a couple others in the system that developed correctly could be really, really good down the road as well. So deal with it. That's all I'm going to say. Deal with it. But nonetheless, the other thing that was really satisfying about this win over Boston was this. ESPN, who, by the way, could give a rat's you-know-what about hockey because they barely talk about it. And I know you have to have ESPN Plus to even get a chance to have people talk about hockey on that network. But ESPN gave the Devils prior to this game a 1.4% chance of winning this game. 1.4. That's awesome. And for the Devils to not only win, but win in regulation and give the Bruins no points... That's satisfying. That's satisfying. So, you know what? You know what, ESPN? Continue to doubt us. You know what, NHL? Continue to doubt us. Because you know what? The more you do it, the more likely we're going to turn the tables on you and we're going to surprise you. And I'm enjoying this team surprising everybody and shocking them, including myself, and being a fun, young, energetic team. This is what it's all about. This is what, it, and I'm just, I'm loving every single second of it.
But now we'll shift to the other game the Devils played, which was on Saturday against the Buffalo Sabres. This was the first time since late January that these two teams met. And obviously there's a little bit of bad blood between, well, mostly on the Sabres side, that they are frustrated that the Devils handled the COVID situation and weren't as clear. Because like I said, the, the Sabres did not want to play those games if they knew the Devils were dealing with that situation. So in all fairness, the Sabres had a right to be upset. But the Sabres came into this game as a desperate hockey team. They were struggling. Ralph Kruger, the head coach of the Sabres, was saying, this team just doesn't believe in itself right now. And I knew that this was a setup for the Devils to have a bad game. This was a setup for them. It said every, you know, the Devils should beat this team. You know, they should have a lot of success against them. They're a, a, a depleted team. They're a hurt team. And, you know, when you're, when you look at that situation, nine times out of 10, you're going to be playing a team that is going to be really desperate and trying to do everything to win. And that will create opportunities for you. You got to take advantage of them though. And I didn't think the Devils did in this game, but let's, you know, Let's not talk about the game, you know, right away. Let's talk about some news that came up prior to the game. The game started at 1230, which, by the way, I hate, absolutely hate day games. Uh, unless I'm going to them, obviously, then, then I have no problem. But I hate them in general because teams just don't look as good because they have, you know, hockey players have a routine and they have to, they have to do what they need to do to get ready for the game. And a 1230 start just isn't it. And also... Before the Devils game today on Sunday against Washington got moved to 2 p.m., this game was actually going to be played at 7. Why? You know, especially if it's a travel day for the Devils or maybe even also the Capitals. Why would you do that? Flip it the other way around. Make the game against Buffalo yesterday a 7 o'clock game and make today a 12.30, 2 o'clock game. And then we would be good. That, that to me makes the most logical sense. But obviously the NHL has made a lot of mistakes this year, particularly with the scheduling and postponing games and everything like that. So it is what it is. But Lindy Ruff made a couple of announcements prior to this game. First, he announced that Travis Zajac would finally be back in the lineup against Buffalo, which would be his first game since late January prior to the Devils going over to Buffalo. This was kind of the beginning of that whole situation with COVID-19. What was really scary was that not only did Zajac have it, his entire family had it. But luckily, they were able to get through it without anything being really, really dire. So that's that's great. And also, this game would be Travis Zajac's career 999th game in the NHL, all with the Devils, which was, which is absolutely incredible. So today, against the Capitals, if Travis Zajac plays, he will be playing in his 1,000th career game. And I know on Saturday, the Penguins were honoring Sidney Crosby because he was playing in his 1,000th game. So it's kind of unique that Travis Zajac is in the same category in a way as Sidney Crosby because both of them now have played, well, if Zajac does play today, will play in 1,000 games. And both of those guys have played their entire careers with one team. And, you know, if anybody is proud to be a New Jersey Devil, it's Travis Zajac. And I've given him crap over the years, especially after he signed that six-year deal after the 2012 season and he just didn't produce the way that everybody expected him to. He's still a valuable part of this team, a veteran guy, really good on the face-offs. And, you know, I'm just very lucky that the Devils were able to keep him for this long, even though he did have a no-trade clause in his contract, so he really didn't want to be moved anyway, which tells you a lot about, you know, that's, you know, about him being in New Jersey. But, you know, straight up, and I'll mention it again in the next episode, but congratulations up front to Travis Ajak on 1,000 games in the NHL. A thousand games with the New Jersey Devils. 
that is an absolute tremendous accomplishment. But the biggest news of that day, we thought that was going to be the biggest news of this game, without a doubt. But the biggest news came up about 30 minutes later when Lindy Ruff announced that Nico Heeshear was available for this game. And that was insane because there was no really information leading up to it that Nico was definitely going to be playing. However, when the Devils returned and they were going to be playing against the Rangers, Lindy Ruff did mention that if Nico Heeshear wasn't on the COVID list, that he was probably going to be able to play, which told you a lot. And now we know some... and. Nico did reveal some stuff after the game that I'll get into in a few minutes, but the de- but obviously this was huge news. And then we got word that he was definitely going to be playing in this game, which was awesome. So finally, for the first time all season long, the Devils were going to be a full string. Nobody was on the COVID list. Nobody was hurt. Nothing like that. Nothing at all which was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we thought that was going to be, that was going to be it. And, you know, it was just, it's just an exciting thing because now you're starting to get more and more good information. But then 45 minutes later at around 1130 in the morning, Kevin Weeks of NHL Network, former New Jersey Devils goaltender, who has broken big time news with the Devils when he broke the news about Lindy Ruff being the head coach of this team. And also he broke the news about the Devils having a pandemic or a uh, COVID breakout situation. Kevin Weeks tweeted out in all caps that he heard from sources and he confirmed it, that the Devils were going to make Nico Heeshear the newest captain of the New Jersey Devils. And that was just like, what? So Zajac's available, Nico's available, and he gets to be announced as captain today? Corey Massazak of The Athletic then confirmed it. And then a little bit later, the Devils' social media accounts came out and did announce that Nico Heeshear was named the newest captain of the New Jersey Devils. He becomes the youngest captain in the NHL at 22 years of age, and he's the second Swiss-born captain in the NHL, with the other one being Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators. And with this captaincy, Nico becomes the 12th captain in New Jersey Devils history. and. It was just kind of like there were so many emotions going through me, going through a lot of people I was talking to, everybody. It was just like it felt like Christmas. I kept saying, is this Christmas like part two? It's crazy because all this good news was coming out and the Devils are on a high. They've won a couple of games in a row. I mean, they've won three in a row now at this point. You know, they're on an ultimate high. But in the back of my mind, I still was like, you know what? All this good is setting up for a massive letdown in this game because all signs were pointing to, oh, the Devils should crush it today. It's going to be a great occasion. First game for Nico as a captain, and they're going to find a way to win. And, you know, then we did have a game to play. I mean, we did have a game to play. And also Taylor Hall was making his first return to the Prudential Center as a visitor since he was traded from the Devils back on December of 2020. 19, excuse me. I'm forgetting my years. 2019, when it was the 1920 season. Last year, when he was traded last season. There, there you go. But obviously, that adds to the emotion of everything. And obviously, there's no fans, but still, I'm sure for Taylor Hall, it was an emotional game for him nonetheless. But going to the game itself, straight up, first 40 minutes, 
no life from the devil's standpoint. Now, maybe because there was so much emotion in the game with everything that had gone on prior to the game starting, that the devils were still kind of in a fog, but the Sabres came out on a mission that they did not want to lose this game, that they needed to get this win, and they played like a desperate hockey team. And about five minutes into the game, Taylor Hall found defenseman Colin Miller at the top right point. He took a slap shot that threw a screen, was able to beat Mackenzie Blackwood to give the Sabres a one nothing lead. And that was frustrating, but again, it was early in the game, not a big deal. But during this winning streak, it was the first time that the Devils had been trailing because in the other games that they had won, they had scored first and they ended up winning. So a little bit, little bit scary, but again, you still had 55 minutes left to play and you're only down by one. No reason to panic. And the Devils were down one nothing after one. But I will say this. The Devils were super lucky to only be down one because Mackenzie Blackwood, like usual, was a brick wall and making big time saves. And the Devils really just didn't put a lot of offense on it. They kind of fell back. It kind of looked like the Devils team that we had seen in years past. They, they just didn't look that aggressive. And it was one of those situations where they just needed something to wake them up. And then they're going to get going because I, I know how this team has played this year. I know once they get that energy, it's really tough for them to lose it. But the Devils looked even worse in the second period. They continued to play defensive hockey. They continued to struggle. And the biggest thing that I saw was that the Sabres were doing a fantastic job of getting in front of shots, blocking them, and just frustrating these Devils shooters when the Devils had a chance. And the Sabres were able to take advantage of their opportunities first, you had a um, defenseman, I think it was uh, Matt Irwin, took a shot that ended up being deflected by Sam Reinhardt, and the Sabres grabbed a 2 nothing lead. And then later on in that period, towards the end of the second period, while the Sabres were on a power play, Jack Eichel found Sam Reinhardt basically wide open right in front of Mackenzie Blackwood. He deflected that puck into the back of the net to make it 3 to nothing. So for Sam Reinhardt, it was his fourth and fifth goals of the season and the devils ended up trailing three, nothing after two. So at this point, look, I personally was like, yeah, we're, we're obviously not going to win this game, but hopefully we can try to finish the game on a high note because we're playing Washington tomorrow. We know that's going to be a difficult task on the road. Nonetheless, we got to try to grab some momentum so we could take it into the next game. And the devils just woke up right from the get go because just 40 seconds into the period, Kyle Palmieri took a shot through a little bit of a screen that deflected off the right post and into the net to give the Devils their first goal of the game and cut the deficit to three to one. Now, Palmieri hit the post late in the second period, which you kind of wonder, especially how this game ended up going, would, you know, where the game would have gone had Palmieri had the, had the puck hit the post and go in instead of hitting the post and going out, which the Devils have had a lot of bad puck luck this year with the post. Hopefully that starts to change a little bit maybe with this goal that Palmieri scored. But Palm scores, it's his third goal in two games, and I'm starting to believe that now he's really going to start getting going offensively now that he's scored in back-to-back -back games and three of his last, in three goals in his last two games. Also, I do believe that Will Butcher got an assist on that goal. What's interesting about Will Butcher is that now he's played in three games and he's gotten points in three of them with a goal and two assists. So he's on a three-game point streak going into today's matinee against the Washington Capitals. So Will Butcher, since he's gotten his opportunity to get in the lineup, has actually done very, very well. And that's great, considering how he really has struggled since his rookie year and hasn't been the same player. Maybe this is the beginning of him making that turnaround. He's still incredibly young, around the same age as Nico and Brad and guys like that. So 
he could still be a guy that could be a long-term defenseman for our team. And maybe this is the beginning of that turnaround. But obviously the Devils cutting the deficit to one to two with still 19 minutes and 20 seconds left. You had the energy. I had the energy watching the game. The players had the energy on the ice and they continued to dominate the third period, getting shot up the shot and creating really good opportunities. But Linus Allmark continued to be a brick wall in that third period. Then with about four minutes left, the Devils went on the power play, which, you know, look, I heard her, I had already, you know, given up that they were not going to score in that power play. At that point, they were four for 32 on the power play, which is ridiculous. That is ridiculously bad. But the Devils went on the power play, and Lindy Ruff made the bold decision to pull Mackenzie Blackwood to get a six on four. And that gamble ended up paying off because P.K. Subban got a gorgeous pass at the top of the point, and he lines up for that big you know, one-timer slap shot that he's known for. He didn't hesitate. He took the shot, and he blasted it past Allmark and into the net to make it three to two with a little over three minutes to go in the game. So now it's three to two and you're coming on strong and you now have even more opportunities to go down and tie this game, come back from down three, nothing in the third period. And I know the guys, Cangelosi and Danico, and by the way, happy to have Steve Cangelosi back after Kenny Albert finishes his devil's career as a broadcaster two and oh, so good on you, Kenny Albert, but glad to have Cangelosi back after his battle with COVID-19. I'm glad he's healthy. That's important. But Cangelosi and Danico both mentioned the game in which the Ottawa Senators came back from down four goals to win the game in overtime. So they were hoping that maybe the Devils were in the same situation. And that, and they continued to push forward. And with a couple of seconds left, Pavel Saka got a great pass right in front of the slot. He took the shot, but it was blocked by Colin Miller. And what was so frustrating and granted, it's tough to do it at times, but he had the top left, the glove side of Allmark open. If he had gone top shelf, he probably would have beaten Allmark and they would have tied the game. But the clock ran out and the Devils ended up dropping this game three to two. This wasn't a be-all and end-all type of loss for the Devils. It was frustrating considering the emotions in it and considering you know everything that went down and, and they made a comeback and they didn't give up, which shows you how resilient this team is and, and what they are all about. But it was still a frustrating loss. Nonetheless, Buffalo was able to get some you know, energy and some enthusiasm from getting a victory. And the Devils will have to shake it off. Like I said, they are traveling to Washington to play the Capitals later on today. And I've talked about block shots before. The Sabres had 18 block shots to the Devils three. If you cut down on half of those, I think the Devils find a way to win this game. So defensively, you got to give Ralph Kruger and that coaching staff a lot of credit for what they did in this game. They really just frustrated the young players on this Devils team, the offensive firepower that we have, and they grinded it out for a well-deserved 3-2 victory. And, you know, it was it was frustrating, but you had to look at the positive, and you could hope that you take how you played in that third period into a full 60 minutes against Washington, which will give you a good chance to win that game. And, and look, the Capitals are coming off a, a, a big-time loss to the New York Rangers yesterday as well. So both of these teams want to redeem themselves after losing at home. And we'll see who comes out on top. And like I mentioned before, if Zajac does play in this game, it will be his 1,000th career National Hockey League game. Now, I wanted to share something else from that game because like I mentioned before, it was Taylor Hall's 
first game back in New Jersey since he had been traded. And there was kind of a question of, were the Devils going to, you know, say anything? Were they going to honor him or anything like that? Well, during the second period, the Devils put up on their video screen a video tribute to Taylor Hall. And that was really, really classy by the Devils. Because, yeah, he was here for three and a half years, and he won a Hart Trophy as the league MVP, which he's the only Devil to ever do that. He helped the Devils get back to the playoffs. But at the end of the day, it just didn't work out, which is obviously a disappointing thing because a lot of us expected Taylor Hall to still be on this Devils team long term. But still, it was a great video tribute. And Taylor Hall, after the game, he put this out on his Twitter, and he said, quote, wanted to thank the New Jersey Devils for the tribute today. I have some amazing memories as a Devil, and New Jersey will always be a special place for me to come back to. Classy organization and great fans made for a great three and a half years. And that was great. I, I give Taylor Hall a lot of credit for saying that. Um, he didn't have to. And, you know, I don't know what his relationship was at the time when the Devils traded him. I don't know. But I tweeted out where I quoted the tweet and I made my own um, statement to Taylor Hall. And I said, thank you, Hall, for what you did in New Jersey. It was a pleasure to have you a part of the organization for three and a half years. And I wish you nothing but the best for the rest of your career. As I mentioned before, I don't hate Taylor Hall. I'm upset that the situation did not work out. I'm, I don't really care that much what he does the rest of his career, as long as it doesn't affect the Devils like it did yesterday, even though he did get an assist, not a goal, but still. Um, I still think he's a phenomenal player. I will always remember the, the great memories that he had while playing in New Jersey. And like I said, it was just difficult that it didn't work out and he's no longer here. But who knows? Maybe down the road, later in his career, maybe the Devils need a, another scoring winger. I mean, Taylor Hall is a free agent again after this year. So, you know, maybe the Devils take a flyer on him. I doubt it. Um, you know, it, it's it's a possibility, but I, I doubt it's, it's probably unlikely. But again, thank you, Taylor Hall, for everything that you did in the three and a half years you were with the New Jersey Devils. Um, you know, you, you represented New Jersey very well. You represented the organization very well. Hell, you were the league MVP in 17-18. No other Devils player could ever say that they did that. Uh, maybe we'll get another one down the road, but still, it's a tremendous accomplishment. And uh, again, I wish you nothing but the best the rest of this season and the rest of your career because you were still a fine player. And I hope that one day you do get an opportunity to maybe play for a Stanley Cup because I think you've earned it at this point. Now, I want to do a couple of updates really quick to kind of wrap this whole episode up. We're first going to do a Binghamton Devils update. Not much to really talk about. The Devils played the Lehigh Valley Phantoms yesterday on Saturday and lost three to nothing to the Phantoms. And Zach McElhaney, um, no, excuse me, Zach McIntyre ended up getting the shutout and the victory, The a, who actually was on the Binghamton Devils last year when he was acquired in a trade from the Vancouver Canucks or the Utica Comets. But he got the win in that one. Gilgis Sen had another really good game, stopping 27 of 30 shots. Um, but yeah, that's about it. And the Devils dropped their second uh, game in a row, which is obviously frustrating. But again, early in the season, young team. Let's just see what happens. But now let's go over to a prospect update because there's a couple of things, one good and one bad. Let's start with the bad because I'm always a big fan of like, let's get the bad out the way first. Um, it was reported a couple of days ago that defenseman Shakir Muka Madulin is done for the KHL's regular season after he sustained an unknown injury during the Bejir or Bejir hockey games in Sweden. I apologize if I said that incorrectly while he was playing for Team Russia. So 
No reports as to what exactly injury he's dealing with. With hockey injuries, they never really tell you what it is. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a culture thing. It's whatever. But uh, they, the media said that his status for the KHL Gagarian Cup playoffs is unknown, which starts on March 2nd. So obviously, we're about a week or about two weeks away. No, a little more than a week away from those playoffs. So uh, unless Ufa can make a long run in the KHL playoffs, it looks like to me that Shakir's season is about done. That's obviously disappointing, you know, especially because he's a young player, 18 years old. He's a devil's prospect. We're, we're expecting big things from him being drafted 20th overall in the NHL draft. He's finishing the regular season with three goals and seven assists in 39 games played. He played for Team Russia in the World Juniors and did very, very well, was an alternate captain. I'm hoping that this injury is not long-term and, you know, he can recover and go from there. And it'll be interesting to see if the Devils do bring him in, if they do have end up having a development camp next season. Um, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, but I'm hoping for a speedy recovery with whatever injury he's dealing with. Now we go to the positive news. Winger Dawson Mercer, who the Devils drafted 18th overall in the 2020 draft, recently scored a natural hat-trick in an 8-2 victory for the Shikumi Saganines over his former team, the Drummondville Voltigeurs on Thursday the 18th and through 11 games this season in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Dawson Mercer has eight goals six assists for 14 points he is really lighting it up in juniors and that's exciting because again when the Devils drafted him it was a steal nobody thought that Dawson Mercer was going to come was going to was going to be available after the first 15 picks. And for him to still be there at 18, it was easy for the Devils to take him there. And I'm sure they had to change their plans a little bit because I'm sure they didn't expect for him to be there. But it's great. And I'm so excited. I'm always excited when prospects and young players on this Devils team are putting up numbers in whatever league they're playing in, whether it's the NHL, AHL, juniors, whatever. I'm so happy that they're doing this well, so that's really, really good for Dawson Mercer. I hope he continues to go from there. And that's pretty much it for the prospect update. Nobody else um, has done anything that's worth noting at the moment. But as the season progresses, I will give you guys more Binghamton and prospect updates. I also wanted to quickly say that the Devils uh, put a couple guys on waivers that cleared. Uh, Connor Carrick and Matt Tennyson both cleared waivers. And I believe Matt Tennyson was moved to... I believe the taxi squad, yes. And Connor Carrick was moved to, I believe, Binghamton or the taxi squad as well. It was one of the two. I don't remember. But both of them cleared, and that was it. Uh, Eric Comrie, and I think I mentioned this before, but Eric Comrie was put on waivers and for the fourth time in his career was picked up off waivers from, you know, you know, from Winnipeg. So he gets to go back to Winnipeg where he was at the beginning of this year. And really quickly, we had some shocking news as well yesterday. Former New Jersey Devil Adam Henrique was put on waivers by the Anaheim Ducks. He still has like four or five years left on a, on a $6.5 or $6.4 million contract. Um, all signs point to the fact that probably, I would imagine by now, he's probably cleared waivers, but I'm not totally, totally sure. It's usually about 24 hours. And then it's kind of interesting to see, well, what are the Ducks going to do after he clears waivers? Because it's kind of a situation where, you know, you know, in his situation, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to, you know, go and get him with that contract. Um, at the moment, he's still 
on waivers. Uh, I think probably within the next two or three hours, he will have cleared unless somebody picks him up. But let's be honest here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say straight up that I don't think the devil should go after him. I know a lot of people want to bring him back. I know that he left a cryptic type of message on Instagram saying that like, oh, maybe it's not over forever. Maybe I'll come back. And look, the devil's traded Henrik to Anaheim to get Sammy Votnin, who's still with the team. And Sammy Votnin has been very good since he got, you know, since he got to New Jersey. The Devils have a lot of depth in the center position. They don't really need a 31-year-old Adam Henrik, who's just not performing the same way that he was capable of, you know, a couple of years ago when the Devils traded him away. So, no, I don't think the Devils should bring him to New Jersey. I don't know why. I don't know why you want to screw up the chemistry with the young players that you have. And you're a rebuilding team. What is Adam Henrique going to do? If the Devils needed some help on the third and fourth line, okay, I get it. Especially if you're a team that's trying to compete for a Stanley Cup. Okay, I get it. But, no, I don't see it. I don't personally see the value in getting him. I don't. And I'm sorry that, you know, I'm probably one of the few that says no. But I, know, I understand that people want to bring back some good memories. But guess what? That era of Devils hockey is over. We are in a new generation with a lot of younger players. We are the youngest team in the NHL with like a 23 or 24.5 age, you know, percentage rate, whatever they, whatever they call it, averaging 24 and a half years of age. We don't need a 31-year-old Adam Henrique who has been struggling offensively, who has a massive amount of money left on a contract and go from there. Now, if the Ducks buy him out and maybe the Devils – you know, have some injuries or whatever the situation is. Maybe they bring him in. I doubt it. I don't know what the Ducks are going to do. Maybe they'll put him on the taxi squad. Maybe they'll shockingly send him down to their AHL affiliate. I don't know. But I'm telling you guys right now, getting Adam Henrique right now makes no sense. It's not going to help the team that much. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And I hope the Devils don't really try to make a move for him unless it's absolutely necessary. If it's not, don't worry about it. You got young players that you can bring up from Binghamton that could do just as good of a job. So, no, I don't think Adam Henrique would be beneficial, even though it would be great to have him come back to New Jersey where he was drafted and he grew up as a player and as a man. But no, it's just no, guys, no. It's going to be really interesting. Like, I like Pinto, and I, I remember everyone, like... And this is the thing that I think Sens fans need to start realizing. We need to stop looking at the draft. We really need to stop looking at a player being like, he was drafted way too early. You know who you can make an argument who was drafted way too late? Mark Stone. Sixth-round pick, and now he's making $9.5 million. Pajot, drafted, I think, in the fifth round and making $5 million. Hoffman... Welcome to the Sense Hour Podcast, your number one source for Sense content, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, hosted by Shane from Ottawa and... And Derek from Muskoka, almost near Leaf Country out here. Um, but I think Clevin was, was right up there because they traded up to get him uh, with the Leafs. And again, they, they passed up some talented players for a guy like Clevin. But now Clevin's all of a sudden looking like a talented player himself. Like that goal that he scored um, in the third game in UND was outrageous. It was just not something you're expecting from the Twitter scouts, especially. 
Sens Hour Podcast, your number one stop for all your Senators content. New episodes coming at you every Monday and Thursday part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Have a good one. Stay safe. Take care. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, No Ecstasy of Being a Jets Fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, 
or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Painted Suffering of Being a New York Jets Man, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!